Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MMA Island podcast. I am Jack Kennedy alongside Keelan McNamara. It's just us again, but we're making it happen. Great podcast lined up, a lot to talk about, really. Um, let's go ahead and get into it. So we had a great fight night um, last fun. Finally, not a DQ or an eye poke or anything. It was just a good fight night all the way through um, and topped it off with a very important main event in Kevin Holland versus Derek Brunson. Um, Derek Brunson obviously won by a very dominant decision. Uh, Keelan, what do you make of this fight night and everything? And uh, this obviously this main event. Oh man, what a strange main event. Um, you know, it was the fight we said that made the most sense for Kevin Holland yeah. after his, you know, literally no pun intended trailblazing run up to this point. Uh, you know, Derek Brunson's been the gatekeeper of middleweight for quite a few years now. So naturally, it made a lot of sense for him to fight Derek Brunson. In terms of the fight itself, I just thought it was bizarre. You know, more yeah. from Kevin Holland's end than yep. Derek Brunson. Derek Brunson did his job you know, dominantly I wrestled and Kevin Holland, I don't think got back to his feet on his own account once, um, you know, and as for the talking, you know, just not a fan of it really, if I'm honest with you, you know, we all love Kevin Holland and we all, you know, he's grown a big part of how he's grown has been his charisma and his chat and, you know, his ability to talk and talk himself into good fights but there's a time and a place for talking and getting battered in between rounds is not the time. Uh, I was disappointed by it, to be honest with you, you know, shouting over to Habib, who's at ringside for advice and all that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, it was funny, but it, it, it was just a bit stupid. Yeah. It kind of crossed the line between funny and idiotic for me, especially in the middle of a main event. Um, as for Derek Brunson, props to him. He did his job. He came out and did what we knew he would do, shoot for the takedown and be rock solid on the ground. My only problem for Derek Brunson is he couldn't finish the fight. And that's my concern for him. You know, Derek Brunson, I believe he called out Paulo Costa after the fight. And the thing is, we know the way the UFC and especially Dana works. You have to be able to finish your opponents. And especially in that fight, you have to be able to finish an opponent who couldn't even get off the ground. So, yes, in, in a purely technical respect, massive props to Derek Bronson. It was a great win. It was a dominant, easy win. But a part of me is concerned by the fact that he couldn't or wouldn't finish the fight. That, that was more what I was thinking about actually watching the fight. Um, and I have a feeling that's what Dana would probably be thinking also, because, you know, Dana saw what we all saw. He saw Kevin Holland being a loud mouthed and acting the way he did, like a bit of a clown in between rounds. If that doesn't incentivize you to finish your opponent on the ground, then what will? So, again, props to Derek Brunson for the win. Every win at middleweight counts, especially the, in the way the division is right now. But I would be concerned by the fact that he wasn't able to finish Kevin Holland. That's my take on it. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Bizarre is the right word for that main event. It was just so weird seeing that. I mean, Kevin Holland, obviously, we know he talks the entire time during his fight. But what was really weird was that he wasn't listening to his corner at all. I don't even know if he like I mean, there was one where he was like the corner was telling him one thing. He was like, oh, I can't do that. But that was the only time he really was listening to his own corner. Why do you even have them there if you're not going to listen to him? Uh, I mean, he was just being ragdolled. Uh, there was not one instance where he 
was able to even think about getting up. He was really sitting in a closed guard for most of the time, which is really unthinkable considering how much how much of a reach advantage, especially with his legs, he has over Derek Brunson, um, that he's just sitting in a closed guard. It was very weird that he was making like no attempt to try and escape from that position or anything. Um, and I was like, he's talking to him the whole time. I don't mind him talking because that's just his style and everything. That's that's what he does. Um, but yeah, it was it's just like, but like what bothers me is whenever he goes to his corner and is not not listening to them and everything, talking to uh, Habib. By the way, did you see the one time Habib actually gave him advice? He took Derek Brunson down. Like, how is that even possible? The one time Habib that that just shows you how elite Habib is. The guy Kevin Holland's getting dominated for the entire fight. Mm-hmm. Brunson has never been taken down. If he gives him one piece of advice, he takes him down. Kevin Holland, who has no wrestling game at all, we just saw. That's insane. Just really what I got from that main event is just how good Habib is like, <laughs> from, from all of that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, for me, Derek Brunson did what he did to, have to get the win. It was really – it was a very impressive win for him. That's two guys in a row that he stopped that have been real rising contenders, really good fighters. Um, for me, though – no one's talking about Derek Brunson after this. It's always it's, everybody's talking about Kevin Holland uh, and everything he did with uh, talking the entire time and all of his side of it. No one's really talking about Derek Brunson. And I think it is a large part of it to what you said. He didn't really get the finish at all or even really try to attempt for the finish that much. I mean, he did get that really good arm triangle for a while, but he was just kind of sitting with that. Um, he really, I think, could have poured it out, but he really held back. Um, I think that's going to cost him because this is another spot where he got, he gets another win over a very dangerous guy in Kevin Holland, but because of the way the fight played out because of what he did in the fight, because he didn't completely finish him whenever I think he definitely had the chance to finish him. um, He's putting himself in a dangerous position because I don't know if he'll get Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa is still very highly ranked. Um, He definitely deserves top five, but he's just going to be flying under the radar again because he didn't put on a phenomenal performance. And I'm not saying that, like, that I could never do that. I, no, no, Very few people could do that, especially against a very tough opponent, Kevin Holland. I completely understand that. But when you're at this level, you need to make a statement on every single fight to continue to move up. Um, that being said, he should get another – he should get a top five uh, fight. But I don't know. No one's really talking about Derek Brunson after this. It's all Kevin Holland and everything he did in the fight. That's That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, man, I fully agree with everything you've just said. You know, Derek Brunson, a very a Division Two wrestler in college wrestling, yeah. has never been taken down in his professional career. Israel Adesanya has never taken him down. Robert Whitaker has never taken him down. One piece of advice from Habib Nurmagomedov and Kevin Holland. Kevin takes Holland. Him down. <laughs> How bad of a look is that on Derek Bronson? One one throwaway comment from Khabib, and he actually goes out and he does it. I mean, I, I don't I don't know anymore, but yeah, uh, I don't think either guy considered this looking fantastically. You know, I think you've covered that very well for sure. Kevin Holland certainly doesn't because you know he's acting like a clown when you're meant to take your opportunities against top ranked opponents. Derek Brunson, you know, you have to take your opportunities to get finishes, not just in any division, but especially in middleweight. Like a lot of the top guys are out decisions. You have to make yourself stand out. And this was the chance to do it against, all right, not the highest ranked opponents, but one of the wet, one yes. of the best known opponents. 
and especially when you have him on the ground for pretty much 23 of the 25 minutes of the fight, you have to take your chances. That's what the main event spot's all about. And like you said, Jack, I fully agree with what you've just said. He's going to fly under the radar now again because he hasn't helped himself. You have to help yourself and drag yourself up by your own bootstraps and take your chances. And again, he's failed to do that. So realistically, if I'm Dana White coming out of seeing that main event, all I am is probably more frustrated than when I went in. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, 100%. And I appreciate that might be a little bit critical, but it's just a very realistic take on the situation because it is a win and it was a very good wrestling display. But even with the wrestling, that's what separated guys like Habib from other wrestlers. All right, yes, you his debate about his fighting style is a completely different conversation, but he went out using it to get finishes. Derek Brunson did not. And that is the fundamental difference here. You have to go out and get finishes, eking out decisions by lying on top of your opponent and trying for an arm triangle once every two or three rounds. It just isn't enough, especially in a stack division. I'm sorry. It isn't. Yeah. You completely nailed it there. I think people should really look to guys like Habib and, uh, and Daniel Cormier to guys that use their wrestling to a level where they are doing that to get finishes. Um, I think that's a big part of the problem. One of the problems Chris Blades had was yes. that he has he's all the potential in the world, but he just doesn't take that next step on the ground um, and, and, and stuff like that. But yeah, you completely nailed it there. Absolutely. Um, speaking of Aviv, uh, Daniel White has officially announced he is 100% retired. We kind of thought so, but Dana White finally has given up on pressuring him to come back. Um, that being said, they did announce the title fight for the vacant lightweight title in the UFC, and it's going to be Michael Chandler versus Charles Oliveira. Uh, Keelan, bit of a surprising matchup maybe. What do you think of this? Yeah, um, the Khabib news isn't a shock. Let's just be honest. Like For the last two or three weeks in this podcast, we've said Khabib's done. Stop yep. chasing him, Dana. It is what it is. Thankfully, he's finally acknowledged at this time. He doesn't have to go to any more dinners or anything like that. <laughs> it is what it is, Dana, all right? At least you tried. Yeah, yeah. You're like yeah. a Simpsons meme, Dana. <laughs> but no, um, in all seriousness, it's a fantastic matchup for the title. If I'm being totally critical, I don't think Chandler deserves to be in it. That's not any disrespect against Michael Chandler. He's an unbelievable fighter with stellar pedigree, but he only has one win. And that's my problem. What really messes with my head when thinking about the lightweight title picture is Dustin Poirier and why he hasn't fought harder for this. Because Dustin Poirier, I mean, we can really trace this back to 2014 when he fought Connor. He went on a really bad spiral prior to that fight and he's come back and he's one of the best fighters in the lightweight division a galaxy away from the fighter he was a few years ago why isn't he pushing harder to be in this main event for the gold he got the interim title you should be pushing for the full thing you pushed for it against Khabib you came up short no one criticizes you everybody's literally come up short against Khabib you said that on the last episode so why he's pushing for the McGregor fight over this is just beyond screwing with my head. If I was Dustin, you know, 
in my opinion, if he takes this title fight against Oliveira, he's got a very, very good chance in the feat. And that cements his legacy, not only as a world champion, but as the first world champion after Habib. There's going to be a spotlight on whoever the champion is after such a dominant champion's left. And personally, I'm quite disappointed. You know, he beat Connor convincingly. Very few people thought we'd ever say that. And instead, the money fight's more important than the legacy fight. And I thought, you know, if he, I'm sure if Dustin, or sir, yeah, Dustin, sorry, him and Gaethje, I'm getting mixed up with. Yeah, yeah. I, I was sure that if Dustin had ever gotten to this point where he was at the crossroads between legacy and money, legacy would always have taken the priority because that's what he's always said. And yet now he's finally on the cusp of glory, full, you know, no asterisks attached glory. And yet the money's taking priority over the legacy. And, you know, I understand that for practical reasons, you know, money's important, no question about it. But I'm disappointed because Dustin's worked so hard for this. And it seems like at the last hurdle, he's kind of just meekly given up. And he's letting two other people fight for what should be his. Now, disappointed as I am, we we have to talk about the fight that has been made. There's no point in ignoring it. It's going to be a hell of a fight. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Charles Oliveira is a killer. He is an anaconda with legs, pretty much. You know, I was actually watching the Tony Ferguson fight earlier, re-watching it because we knew we would be talking about this. And this man is such a killer on the ground. It is beyond scary how good his jiu-jitsu is. You know, Tony Ferguson, as we've said before, trains under Eddie Bravo, a 10th planet. 10th planet brazilian jiu-jitsu he is no slouch Oliveira nearly took his head and his yeah. arm home with him that night no one's ever done that to tony ferguson and Oliveira did it twice in the same fight so he's gonna be a big big problem in this fight and it was actually someone put this on instagram yesterday and i said this in the comments it was actually a fighter who put it up i do apologize i can't remember your name at this moment <laughs> he was asking about this particular fight and Michael Chandler's great strength could be his un- it could be his undoing because his big strength plays directly into Oliveira's big strength succinctly. All you know, Chandler's a division one wrestler, an absolute monster at getting people down. But when he gets Oliveira down, he's facing an anaconda on the ground who not only will get him into massively difficult situations with his BJJ, but he's going to slice him up with elbows and hooks on the ground. So it, it really is going to be a fight of inches. I don't, I in no way see one fighter dominating this fight or getting to like a last round desperate situation. This is going to be a very close technical fight. And the extra element added to this was of course Chandler's debut against Dan Hooker I thought Chandler was going to come out out wrestle Hooker dominate him for the decision or a late stoppage he came out and steamrolled him in a round something no one has ever done to Dan Hooker so if he lands on Oliveira's chin Oliveira could be in severe trouble but then again if Chandler decides to impose his x factor his wrestling then Oliveira does have the antidote for that in the ground in his Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So it's such an intriguing fight because on paper, each fighter cancels out the other. There is no clear advantage. I actually think Oliveira's boxing is quite underrated on the feet, but then Chandler's shown he's very good on the feet too. You know, not just with the overhand that put 
hooker into the shadow realm. His actual boxing itself is very good. His slips, his feints, getting under the shots and coming over with the hook. So it's going to be a very, very intriguing matchup. And I can't wait to see it because there's so much to analyze. You know, it's it's really going to be a question of in the first 10, 15 seconds, who can impose their game plan first? That's how tight this fight's going to be. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's an amazing fight. I mean, pretty much everything, you nailed it there, I think. Uh, it, the Dustin Poirier thing is fascinating to me. Um, I, it's obvious the reasons he's not taking the title fight. He wants the money for the McGregor fight again. Um, but like what you said is a very interesting point. He wants the legacy as well. And he, is, he basically, I think, if he really wanted it, how could you not give him the title shot? I mean, who's There's earned no it question. more than him? Exactly. So uh, I, I don't know. I honestly, I don't exactly hate the decision, though. I think he has Connor's number off of this last fight because now with the calf kicks and everything, Connor's having a game plan for that second fight where Dustin Poirier gets to come up with a whole nother game plan for the third fight or whatever. And Connor is going to have to adapt to whatever that third game plan is. Maybe I'm thinking too far ahead, but I think Dustin Poirier has a real good chance to beat Connor again in the third fight. Um, and then and then he goes in and faces the winner of uh, whatever this this whoever wins this fight um this fight is is amazing uh charles Oliveira obviously <laughs> he he did this is a situation where it paid off we've seen leon edwards wait and it didn't pay off the situation pay, paid off um michael chandler it's crazy uh, how he's getting a title shot right now considering he's had two minutes in the ufc and <laughs> he's already getting a title shot um that being said I don't really know who else you would give it to. I don't think you can give it to Gaethje because he did just lose to Habib. That being said, I guess, you know, everybody does. But um, I don't I, I don't think you can give it to Gaethje because he's coming off of a loss, especially in that division. And the only other guy you would give it to would be Dustin Poirier, who's earned it. Uh, but he doesn't want to fight. He wants Connor again in July, it seems, at the moment. So who's the next guy? Well, Michael Chandler just knocked out uh, Dan Hooker. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a very competitive fight. Charles Oliveira, I, I've said this for a long time. He's going to be a monster at 155. He already is a monster at 155 because if it goes to the ground, it's not good for you. Um, that being said, Michael Chandler has, next to Habib, the best wrestling in that in that division possibly it's ever seen, um, which they're completely two different levels, which shows you just how good Habib is. But that being said, Michael Chandler is – a very, very, very elite wrestler. Like you said, that's his base. That's what he does. But he also has extreme power, as we saw in the Dan Hooker fight. I don't think he's going to try and wrestle Charles Oliveira. I think he's going to use that wrestling uh, background as a defense to Oliveira, trying to take him down. Um, and then using that, I think he can use his big power and try and keep Oliveira up. Another interesting thing is he's just coming off a long camp preparing for a taller, lankier fighter and Dan Hooker. So he's going to be used to that. So the height advantage Yes, it is an advantage, but Michael Chandler has been preparing for that for a long time, um, and 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 he'll be able to handle that. So I think Michael Chandler has a good chance in this fight. That being said, if it goes to the ground, I don't think he gets back up. I don't think anybody gets back up right now with Charles Oliveira. Um, if he gets if he gets you down, even if he's on the ground on his back, I think you have a, you're going to have a tough time standing up from that. So if Michael Chandler can keep it on the feet, I think he has a very good chance in this fight based off what we've seen. Um, we've only seen two minutes of him in the UFC, though. And this caliber of fighting, let's see how long he can keep it up. 
obviously he was a very good Bellator fighter, but UFC is a whole other level. And this is the this is the biggest moment of his career, which is impressive to say for Michael Chandler. And I'm fascinated to see how he's going to handle it. Um, I think though he's a very smart guy with the right game plan. I really do think he could be Charles Oliveira. Um, and and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be awesome though. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, no question. It's going to be fireworks. And, you know, no one doubts Chandler's talent and his ability to beat Oliveira or anyone in that division. I don't think you'd find a sane fan who would say any different. The thing is with Oliveira, and especially with any elite black belt jiu-jitsu fighter, especially when they're on their back, they can pull any weapon out of anywhere. Oh, yeah. And Chandler's got to be so careful of this because I do think at some point, whether it's Oliveira taking Chandler down or Chandler taking Oliveira down, the fight's going to hit the mat at some point. And Chandler has to be careful because, you know, in a traditional wrestler style, Chandler will get him on the ground in full guard and he will throw slamming hooks over the top. And he's got to be careful with how he moves. If he gives his neck up for half a second, bang guillotine. If he tries to throw a loop, yeah, if he throws a looping hook over armbar omoplata, you know, he can throw it into a triangle. He did that against, I think it was Kevin Lee. He it was Kevin it Lee. with a triangle. Yep. You know, look at the arm bar he had on Tony Ferguson. He nearly ripped his arm in two. So Chandler has to be very, very wary of what he's going up against on the ground. I do think keeping this fight in his feet is going to be his key to victory because Oliver is a monster on the ground. And even if Chandler tries to stand up again, he could get a heel hook. He's got to be careful with how he exits the takedown as well as going into it because he, they even, even if Chandler tries to get up and Oliveira can keep him on the ground, he can reverse it and flip him on his back into oh, a yeah. rear naked choke too. And he can do damage from the back clinch as well. So there's, there's hundreds of different dynamics that um, Chandler's got to prepare for and that Oliveira is a master at. And I think you make an excellent point about him already being prepared for a lanky, tall fighter and someone like Dan Hooker. The problem is Oliveira is streets ahead of what Hooker can offer, especially on the ground. And as long as Chandler's aware of that, he should hopefully be okay. But if he switches off for even half a second, Oliveira will get him. He's just got to be so, so careful. And that's what's going to make this fight so interesting. There's just no question about it. As for this is where I'll end my lap on this. As for the Poirier situation, you know, Conor McGregor could be on a 10 fight losing streak and he will always be the money fight. That's just his legacy. That's who he is. And that is what he is. I'm not mad at Dustin in that regard. I'm just mad in that, you know, he has sacrificed everything as a fighter to get to this very situation. And, you know, if this had been two or three fights before the situation he's in, I would have fully understood it. But the thing is, even though I, I and I'm fully with you, we've talked about this quite a lot. We both agree that Poirier does have McGregor's number because McGregor, like you said, has to play catch up and get two steps ahead without knowing what the second step is. Poirier is already a step ahead and he can create any second step that he wanted. McGregor does nothing for Poirier. I mean, let's say Poirier does beat McGregor again in July. It's like, okay, now what? You're still in the same situation you were before. And McGregor win doesn't advance him the way it would have a couple of years ago. That's why strike while the iron's hot. That's why I think Poirier is making a mistake here. 
Because if he wins, don't get me wrong, it's fantastic. He gets pay-per-view buys. He gets the money he's more than earned over the years. And, you know, it does add to his legacy of, well, I beat Conor McGregor not once but twice. But consider this as well. If he loses, what does this do for his title hopes? He's in the Leon Edwards situation if he loses. He's completely eradicated everything that he's worked for. And I don't want to see Dustin Poirier do that. Because this, and especially with the damage he's taken over the years, this might be the best chance he ever has to get the title with no asterisks attached. And I'm not saying he's going to blow it or anything, but it could be the last time he ever gets this close because the division's only ever getting more and more and more stacked. And he's finally cut himself clear at the top in terms of who's at the front of the line for the title shot. And it seems like he's just given it up. Now, of course, I could be wrong, and there could be many more things going on in the background that we don't know about. But based on the information we have available as of tonight, that's just the way it feels to me. And I don't want to see him do that to himself. So I certainly, for Poirier's sake, I hope he wins in July just so that he doesn't do this because it would feel unforgivable. And I'm not even Dustin Poirier, as you can tell, but it would be so upsetting for him if that did happen. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point, actually, because he is, I mean, more than earned his shot. And for for him, if he would lose, I'm basically restating what you're saying, but like it's you have to fight so hard to get back. And that division is so tough. And then for Connor, it's almost like he's giving Connor a free pass because of Connor right now, if he if he loses again, it's like, OK, but it's, it's like the same position he was in before. OK, yeah, you lost to Dustin Poirier. You got to fight somebody else. If he wins, though, he's going to get the next title shot. I mean, that's that's the position they're in. That's the position Connor is in to get that next shot. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, for sure. Moving on now, uh, another big title fight, and this is unfortunate. Um, 260 is going to be lacking Brian Ortega versus Alexander Volkanovsky. Fantastic featherweight fight. It's still going down, but not on UFC 260. I believe Alexander Volkanovsky has either, either has COVID-19 or someone in his camp has covid um, either way, it's an exposure thing. Um, Kalen, what do you make of this news? Yeah, dude, I feel the same. Everybody does. It's really, really disappointing. You know, the as we said with Kalman's match, Shemaev, when we discussed him, fighters' health and safety and their team's health and safety will always take priority as yeah. it should. But it is disappointing. We were looking forward to such a fantastic fight, and it will still happen. I, I, I want to clarify that in case that gets, like, edited or whatever it it is still happening in the future in the next couple of months but i was really looking forward to it um you know it's going to be an unbelievable fight when it happens we've seen you know such leaps and bounds and improvement from brian ortega improvements that we never even thought he might be capable of before i mean you look at the fight of the face max holloway and you look at the fight of the face the korean zombie you would be fully forgiven for thinking they were two different people and i think i think ortega's got such a good chance of getting the title from volkanovsky this is no slight on alex volkanovsky he's a great fighter and he does get unfair criticism for the second holloway fight 
because he's not the judges. He can yep. only fight his fight. Exactly. What the judges call, they call. That's what they're paid to do, not him. Now, personally, do I think Max won the second fight? Yeah, I do. I think he won it three to two. But that's not an excuse to hate Alex for that or to question yep. his title yep. reign for that. He's still a fully accomplished fighter who more than earned his title in the first fight. So it's going to be a great fight. Like I said, Ortega's got so many weapons he can win this with. He looks like a world-class boxer on his feet now, somehow. Um, and that's going to be a problem for Volkanovski because from what I remember, Ortega has like a two or three inch reach advantage. It could be more. So he can box at range and win comfortably. And then, of course, his black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Oh, yeah. Even if it's kind of like Chandler Oliveira all over again, even if Volkanovski gets him to the ground, you're on the ground in the position a black belt in jiu-jitsu wants to be in he can pull anything out of his arsenal from any position on the ground even if you're transitioning to half guard he's got you there even if you're in full guard guillotine triangle arm bar he can flip you over into that so when this fight does eventually happen now in a couple of months and God being well, everybody's okay for yep. that fight. Yep. I do want to just stress that just to make absolutely sure when this fight does happen, it's going to be very, very interesting because I'm really intrigued to see how Wilkonowski deals with the threats that are in front of him. You know, a lot of people are writing him off already, and I do think that's a bad thing to do because he's an incumbent champion. You don't get to be a champion unless your head's screwed on and you know what you're doing in the octagon. So it's going to be really, really interesting. And I'm very curious to see what Volkanovsky pulls out of his bag of tricks. Yeah, I mean, I, it's so disappointing because this is the fight that we all want to see at featherweight. Uh, obviously, Max Holloway is next in line. And I mean, there's so many there's so many good things that are going down with this fight. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Obviously, like what you said, stress, the importance of um, everyone staying healthy. Best wishes to Alexander Volkanovsky. And over there with his camp, um, it's just disappointing because we want to see it. But this is not as disappointing as it could be because it's not canceled. It's just postponed. So we will still get to see it, just not as soon as we would want to see it, uh, which would be this week, which is pretty cool. But um, that being said, I don't know, maybe 262. I mean, I don't think you could do four title fights for a card. I think that's overloading it. Uh, 261 has uh, three title fights already. 262 has Chandler Oliveira. This would be a good co-main to that. Um, an epic Kumi. Yeah, that be, that, and then you have a card. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's disappointing because we're going to have to wait even longer to see it. Um, and, but that's, you know what? That's okay. As long as we get to see it, I'm happy. Um, this is the perfect matchup. This is the matchup that has to happen at 145. I mean, freaking uh, Brian Ortega's looks so good recently against the Korean zombie, like you said. The spinning elbow he landed. He spent basically two years and regrouped and, 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 and completely restructured himself on the feet. And he looks incredible. Uh, Volkanovsky though, I mean, elite wrestling, but that's why it's a dangerous matchup. And that's why we want to see it because I think Oliveira, not Oliveira, I just compared him to Oliveira accidentally. Um, Brian Ortega has now apparently elite striking out of nowhere. Um, and if he has it, the height and reach advantage over Alexander Volkanovsky, that's dangerous. So if Volkanovsky is getting lit up on the feet, shoots him for a takedown, well, now you're in the worst spot possible because you have Brian Ortega on the ground. It's a very dangerous matchup for Alexander Volkanovsky. However, if he does pull it off, 
I mean, that would be shocking to me. And he would really prove himself to be the real champ at 145. Um, and then you have another, I, I mean, you have to do the trilogy with Max after that. Max gets whoever uh, after this, but who knows? Just an amazing fight overall. Really sucks that we're not going to get to see it as soon as possible. However, whenever we do see it, I'm just glad to see it. And obviously, best wishes to Alexander Volkanovsky and his camp. Yeah, fully agree. Nothing but the very best, Alex, in his camp. Health comes first. It always has. It always will. And it always should. And, you know, like you said, see if he can pull this off somehow. He is firmly the champion. And it becomes a much harder question for anyone to get that belt off of him. But if see if Ortega wins, and again, I'm only saying Ortega wins because it seems more likely that he will win, but based on skills, him and Holloway is going to be fireworks. That Calvin Cater Holloway and the Korean oh zombie Ortega, gosh. that's going to be a fight of the year right there. Oh, yeah. Already. Oh, yeah. And it's March. It's a madness. It's all going off, Jack. I'm so hyped. Like, oh, they man. just keep getting better, yes. I love yeah. it. Oh, it's, it. it's going to be so, so good, but I can't wait to see whenever this fight comes back on again. It is going to be epic. Absolutely. I'm not even going to add anything onto that. That was perfect. Um, on to our last segment of the day. Um, Cody Garbrandt. No, no, not Cody Garbrandt. That's another fight that they booked that I was going to mention, and, and I will. Corey Sandhagen, obviously a possibly next in line for the title if the whole Adjumane Sterling Pierre situation that never happens. He is now going to be facing TJ Dillashaw and Dillashaw, uh, his, his first fight back since being suspended for performance, enhancing drugs. Dillashaw is now in a position where he is one win away for a title shot. Corey Sanhagen, obviously if he wins this, you cannot deny him a title shot any longer. Very good fight at 135. Another crazy division. Um, what are you thinking? In many ways, I'm happy about this, but in a very great deal, many other ways, I'm not. And I'm sure you can work out which is which oh, and why. Yeah. Um, I love Corey Sanhagen. I think both of us are very yes. much do. Yep. You know, he should be getting his title shot already. This is ridiculous that he has to go through another obstacle just because Piotr Jan screwed up with an illegal knee on Aljamain Sterling. I mean, how many more obstacles does Corey Sanhagen have to go through to get his shot? Like I said, on whenever we broke this down on the podcast after the Jan Sterling fight, I said the person I feel the most sorry for out of all of this is Corey Sanhagen. Oh, yeah. Because he's going to get denied again. And now he's got to prove himself again against someone who, with the greatest of respect, is now a cheat in TJ Dillashaw. You know, two-year ban for EPO, and he comes back one fight away from a title shot? Get out of here. No, I'm not having it. There's so many other guys who should be in that title picture apart from him. Rob Font, Garbrandt had a KO of the year against the Sun Sao. We're just going to forget about that? No, 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 no. It's not right. I'm sorry. I'm not happy about this. You know, TJ Dillashaw, you could argue, is the greatest bantamweight of all time behind maybe Dominic Cruz, purely skill-wise. But I'm sorry, his legacy is in tatters right now. He he yep. knowingly took an illegal and dangerous performance-enhancing substance that could have killed Henry Cejudo, and you're going to bring him back one fight away from a title shot? No, nah. no, nah, I'm not a fan of this at all. 
my only hope is that Corey Sanhagen goes out and does the business again, because if Corey Sanhagen loses, I will be so, so upset for him. He's done everything right. He's gone out. He's fought the best. All right. Apart from Aljamain Sterling and he's beat the best. And I've made this comparison before already, and I will make this comparison again. This is like Dillian White boxing all over again with the WBC fought time after time after time after time in Eliminator to get a shot. And then eventually he lost one fight in an Eliminator and got put to the back of the pack in order. And I'm not a fan of it. It's completely unfair and it's completely unbalanced with Corey Sandhagen. And I'm firmly on his side in this. Now, in terms of the actual fight, I'm going to get over my brief anger there for a second. In terms of the fight itself, I think Sanhagen more than has the tools to get the job done. You know, he is elite on his feet. He's so good striking on the ground. He's an absolute devil to deal with. He's just very, very good. And, you know, it depends on what TJ Dillashaw we see on fight night. Uh, You know, Dillashaw, controversy aside, is a very, very good fighter on his feet, moves quick, very good boxing. You know, his wrestling is his base. So if this fight does get to the ground, which at some point logic says it should, then it's going to be a really, really intriguing matchup. That being said, Dillashaw has been out of an octagon for two years. Well, two and a bit years. Corey Sanhagen's fought, what, three, four, five times since then? You know, he's in elite condition. He's fought the best in his division, and he's going to be absolutely razor sharp for this fight. So, I mean, in my opinion, not only should he have had to have done this, but for TJ Dillashaw, by far, it makes the best sense to have him win two or three warm-up matches before you're even considering a title eliminator with Corey Sanhagen. No, I think the Aldo fight made a lot more sense because Aldo's still very, very tough and he's slightly lower in the rankings. Even Rob Font, I wanted to see that fight too. I think that made a lot of sense. So even if you'd have done Rob Font, Jose Aldo, maybe someone else, then Sandhagen, then there's much less room to be mad at it. But I'm not happy TJ Dillashaw skipping five or six other guys for a title eliminator. It's completely unfair. It's not as if TJ Dillashaw decided to retire clean and then came back as like arguably the GOAT. The man was out for two years because he cheated, because he couldn't make the weight. He got beat once and he got beat twice. It's, you know, it's just so, so unfair. All I can hope is that Corey Sanhagen shows how good he is in fight night. That's my take. Yeah, absolutely. The comparison I was going to make is this, it's not like he came back from an injury or anything like that. He was literally caught cheating with a very intense illegal drug. I mean, EPO, isn't that what uh, Arms, uh, Armstrong used for? Uh, I'm pretty sure it yeah, was. I'm, if not, yeah. it was something really similar. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I mean, that's I mean, that's as illegal as it gets. Uh, and he and he absolutely used it. Um, and I don't even think there's 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 dating for how much of it he used and for how long he used it and everything too. So he, he probably was using for the Cody Garbrandt fight as well. Um, it's just, it's, it's 
awful to see that happen. Uh, I'm going to, I'll start with the fight. I mean, it's, it's a great fight it, from a, from a bias, from just standing back. It's a great fight. It's a great matchup. TJ Jillistall is fan. It's a fantastic fighter on the feet. One of the most technical guys we've seen. I still think Dominic Cruz is the goat at Bantamweight. I, he will forever be I my do. goat unless, until someone is do, as dominant as he was. Um, he was untouchable for a long time. Then he got old. Um, but yeah, TJ Dillashaw, I mean, striking-wise, though, he might be the best striker that 135 has ever seen. Technical striker, he has some power behind it, puts on some great fights. Um, but Corey Sanhagen's looked amazing. I mean, that flying knee just knocked out Frank Yeager with. Frank Yeager barely ever gets knocked out. He's been knocked out, what, twice in his career now? Knocked yeah. out cold. Um, he's just fought again and again and again and already has already, in my opinion, earned and earned over his, his title shot, like you said. Um, and really, the Aljamain Sterling loss, he got caught. I mean, people get caught with punches. With Aljamain Sterling, he got caught with just a beautiful submission move. And it's crazy how quickly Corey Sanhagen is able to advance because six months later, he looks like a completely renewed fighter. He looks even better than he was before that Aljamain Sterling fight. So that just shows me the growth that he has in the short amount of time he's able to grow is a really good fighter. And that's what champions are made of right there. And uh, he got caught in that submission, but he can't, he's come back and everything. I would love to see a rematch with Aljamain Sterling or Piotr Jan. Oh yeah. Um, I think those are all great matchups for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's TJ Dillashaw, a great, great fight. It'll be an amazing fight. It's a fight night. I love it. I'm, I'm down for it. It'll be a great fight, but who, if TJ Dillashaw wins, that's tough. That's really tough because you're talking about a guy who got caught cheating uh, and it's such a bad look, not only for him, for the sport, because that's, we're saying that's a champion who was going down for champ champ status that was cheating and, and has cheated other fighters. You could argue he was really the reason for Cody Garbrandt's downward spiral and a little bit too. He and was? If he was cheating for that. That's just awful because then you really messed over a guy's career because you were cheating. And, and I just, I can't, I can't handle that. It's, it's very disappointing. Like you said, give him at least one fight before Corey Sanhagen. Um, I would argue too. I would put him down with someone like ranked 10 or 11. I think maybe Dan Ige or C he won 45. I don't know, but some, someone else in that division that's lower ranked, he really needs to earn his spot again. He does not need to come back in a position where he's like, well, I was the champ. I deserve this. No, you do not, because you were cheating. You were caught cheating blatantly. You do not deserve your spot just to come back to you. Um, you have to fight your way back. And yes, it might mean you're going to torch some guys to get way to get your way back. But you have to fight like you're a new person coming into the UFC because you were caught in the way you were caught, um, and you do not deserve to be one fight away from the title fight. Like you said, I I'll be disgusted if he wins. Um, I'm fascinated I as a fan, though. I'm fascinated to see how he's going to look. I, I, I just, I don't, I, 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 I don't necessarily dislike TJ Dillashaw as a person, but just, I, 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 for the sport's sake, I don't think he, I don't think it would be great for the sport if he beats Corey Sanhagen and then just gets a title shot right away um, for, for the obvious reasons. If TJ Dillashaw beats Corey Sanhagen and comes back for a title shot straight away, then the integrity of the sport, in my opinion, is shattered. And we may That's as it. I mean, what the hell? We may as well let That's TRT it. Vitor Belfort come back and fight <laughs> because that's, that's how insane this is to me. You know, I have nothing against TJ Dillashaw as a person. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. He seems like a decent enough person. I don't know. But as a fighter, 
I'm not happy about this at all. It's completely unfair. You know, at 135, we have a guys like Sean O'Malley, Cheeto Vera, you know, Rob Font, Mariah Aldo, yep. Garbrandt, Asuncio, all the bro. best fighting the best over the last two years. And you're telling me you're just going to let him bunny hop over the rest of them. It's not fair and it isn't right. You know, my issue with it, you know, I think I've made it pretty clear why I'm unhappy with it, but it's just wrong on so many levels, you know, and Corey Sandhagen's being put in a position he shouldn't be put in. Now, credit to him, he's standing up and he's taking this fight. And if he is able to beat Dillashaw, then there's no doubt upon the lack of doubt that was there anyway. He is the contender and he's getting whoever wins that rematch between Sterling and Jan. That's a whole different conversation. But, you know, my problem with TJ Dillashaw is his mouth. And I'm going to tell you why. You know, when he fought Henry Cejudo, he came in all swaggering and arrogant, claiming he was going to kill the flyweight division, used an illegal, dangerous drug just to make weight, and then got smashed deservedly, quite frankly. Then Cejudo went up to 135. What did he do? He didn't accept the loss, didn't say, couldn't make the weight. I had to cheat. I'm sorry. I hold my hands up. Talked even worse, got smashed. Then with his tail between his legs, had to admit that he cheated just to make the weight. And you're going to put that one, one win away from a title shot. It, this in no way adds up in any kind of sense. Imagine the fighters for the last two or three years who've had a win against the toughest opponents and put in eight to 10 week training camps and telling them, oh, by the way, your all your work was for nothing. We're just going to let TJ Dillashaw swam back in for a title shot. You tell me how that's fair to anybody in that division, and I will show you a liar. I'm sorry. It makes no sense at all. You know, and, you know, you actually make a really interesting point about the Cody Garbrandt fights, because I've seen and heard a lot of traction about the fact that TJ may have been using as far back as the Garbrandt fights. Now, there's no way I don't think of proving or disproving that. But if that's the case, then both those wins need to be overruled immediately. And because that sent Cody Garbrandt to the point where he was nearly cut from the company because he went in such a bad spiral after that. And I have said many, many times, Cody Garbrandt is the best pure boxer in the 135 division. The only reason he lost to Gar or to Dillashaw was because he lost his head and he fought emotional. Now that's on Garbrandt. That's on him. He should have been able to adjust that. But at the end of the first round in their first fight, he was 10 seconds away from winning. And if he'd have won, we're talking a completely different situation at 135. Now, that's neither here nor there. That's simply set in the scene. But I'm not happy about this at all. I'm really, really not. It, it feels to me like so many guys have come through, and especially through COVID, who've come out and put on some fights of the year contenders, guys like O'Malley, guys like Vera, guys like Garbrandt, Asuncao, even Aldo, who admittedly won when he certainly shouldn't have got, in my opinion, against Marlon Marais. But he came out, he fought, he's fought the best in that division. And you're going to leapfrog all these guys for a guy who was caught cheating, who admitted to cheating. No, I'm sorry. I'm really, really unhappy about it. 
you know, it's not an issue of skill. It's an issue of what's right and what's wrong. Dillashaw has earned nothing. And to come back and claim that you, like you said, Jack, and you're absolutely right, to come back and claim that you should get the next title shot because you never lost the belt. Well, yes, a man called Henry Cejudo pulverized you in less than a minute. And then you're going to come out and just jump over all these guys who've grinded for the last two years to get a shot. No, sorry. Yeah. And quite frankly, if Dillashaw somehow does win, I will not be watching that fight. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I One last thing that I was thinking too, the UFC has a track record with this of, of yeah. awarding fighters for cheating in John Jones for me. Uh, I that he was caught cheating. I mean, he never admitted to it, but he was caught cheating and not even cheating for him. Like the hit and run incident, cocaine. I, there's a list of at least 15 things now, like just this, this past year, he was out like drinking and shooting a gun in his car or something like that. Uh, awarding situations like that. And he was cheating for fights as well. Um, and awarding stuff like that for, Oh, well, you never lost about your automatically the champion because they do make money. Uh, awarding them already that shot is very infuriating to me as a fan who loves the purity of the sport. If those are the rules, you have to follow the rules. And if another fighter, you put them in a major disadvantage because you're using those drugs. It's very difficult to see. And I completely agree with everything you just said against about TJ Dillashaw. Um, and it's very disappointing from the UFC's part, in my opinion. I think it's 100% um, on them to make the right call with this and say, this guy or, or this the they should make it if, if someone is caught cheating you cannot be um, rewarded for that whenever you come back from your suspension you have to really fight back you cannot because really you weren't a legitimate champion if you're doing that um so it's just infuriating to me as a fan and i know to you obviously uh to see that for sure and i i really wish the ufc would really clean up their act in that position and standpoint whenever you do have a big name that's caught cheating yeah fully and again, you know, one of the other fighters that people know how much I love is John Jones. But Jones never should have gotten the opportunities that he got. Are you kidding me? A hit and run proving that he was on drugs. I mean, there's even a story at Jackson Wink. He literally hid under the octagon oh, to avoid yeah. doing a urine test. I mean, I love John Jones as much as anybody still loves John Jones. But no, he should never have been rewarded the way he did. And, you know, think of the amount of cheaters that have been rewarded over the years. It's wrong. You know, the UFC was originally created to preserve the integrity of the yes. sport and advance yes. the integrity, the best fighting the best. And you're going to give, give cheaters and drug users opportunities over clean guys. That's why, like, whenever he fought Daniel Cormier, I think it was at UFC 214, I could not understand the booing and the jeering Daniel Cormier got. Because DC will go down as a goat for doing things the right way. All right, there's the issues with the eye pokes and such, but that's nothing as close to as bad as what Jones done. And Jones those were accidental. Well. In the in the moment of the fight, those were accidental. Those weren't before yeah, exactly. the fight. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I really don't know how much more you should have to say about it. It's just wrong on every level. The amount of guys who've been looked over and just cheated out of opportunities because of this type of situation, it, it, it is disheartening as a fan, really. Because as a fan, like you said, and I'm fully with you, I always have been, you know, we care about the integrity of the sport and the best fighting the best without having to get ahead illegally. If you can't get ahead 
without using drugs or injecting yourself or whatever, then you don't deserve to be there. That's a fact because this guy's given up money, time away from their families. They're risking their health and their team's health, especially in times of COVID, to be the best cleanly. And you're taking everything away from them because you can't fight by the same rules. No, I'm not having it at all. My only hope now is that I trust in Corey Sanhagen's ability yeah. to right this yep. wrong and beat TJ Dillashaw. You absolutely nailed it there. That is 100% what I'm thinking, and I hope most MMA fans are thinking right there. You 100% nailed it. Um, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Great podcast. Uh, make sure to go ahead and like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, we are everywhere, including iTunes and Spotify. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at MMA.island and check out our website, MMAisland.net, as per usual. Amazing podcast, and thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it.